VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yo, technology, what is it all about? If you make AIs serve as surrogates that replace humans in intimate relationships, you are unquestionably moving human beings away from each other in a way that is, I mean, I think so obviously dangerous. We don't even want to explore it. If we create AI boyfriends and girlfriends that pull us away from each other, that's very dangerous. And we must decide as a society not to do it, obviously. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Before we get to today's show, a quick programming note. After today, we have two more episodes. I repeat, two episodes. So that is uh, this week, obviously next week, July 28th and August 4th. Then I'm off the rest of August. I'm traveling in the UK and Portugal with the fam. Gonna go catch up with old friends, be a tourist, hang out with the kids, recharge. It's gonna be great. And then toward the end of that month or the right at the start of September, we will be back in action. So that is the plan. I hope you all have some grand vacay plans as well. But before we get there, obviously, we have a bit more work to do. So this week, we have a very special guest, one of our favorites, Philip Rosedale, is on the show. And Philip, for those who don't know, is the man who really popularized this whole metaverse idea before it was really kind of popularly known as that. Um, this whole concept of virtual worlds going back 20 years with the founding of Second Life, which is the OG and still existing very active virtual world. And Philip is great because he has not only rode the whole roller coaster all the way back to this idea that, you know, way back in the early 2000s, yeah, a billion people are going to be creating avatars living in virtual worlds to the the very, very different reality of that. And then watching Meta try again with its Oculus and the whole Metaverse strategy. And now more recently with Apple and its Vision Pro headset. So Philip has been at the forefront of this move to really take our technology to the next plane. And he knows very well how and why that is so hard. And so I wanted to just kind of check in with him really because since he and I last spoke, a lot has happened. AI has exploded onto the scene. The, the Vision Pro was released and he's also started a new lab called IRL 415, 415 being the area code out here in San Francisco, to kind of really play with these technologies, see how they work together, see how to figure out how they might work in ways that are not terrible. 
for us humans. And Philip is just really thoughtful and insightful about this nexus between tech and humanity in a way that really very few people are out here. So that is who we have on this week. It's a real treat. I know you're going to get a lot of out of this. And that is what you're about to hear right now. So here he is, Philip Rosedale of Second Life, Linden Labs, and now IRL415. Enjoy. I think I messaged you, oh gosh, two or three weeks ago when the world was all very aflutter about the Apple, what is it called now, Tony? Vision Pro. The Vision Pro, exactly. The Vision Pro and like, you know, (laughs) and I was just struck by, it looks genuinely impressive, but it also still looks weird when they were like promoting it and there's like a dad in his living room and he's got these goggles on but it's okay he can see his kid through there but he's also can just like (laughs) record his kid blowing their candles out and then he's sitting in a darkened room later that night like by himself watching this (laughs) yeah and it just looked all a bit funky and it made me think of our previous discussions about um VR and everything else. So just, that's that was the initial uh, impetus for talking. One thing I always say nowadays, unfortunately, I must confess, I, I say it more times than I think is safe. Um, I always want to say to people when I see things like the Apple Vision Pro announcement, like, "Do you watch Black Mirror?" <laughs> totally. Sometimes I feel like saying, "You do recognize <laughs> that there is a Black Mirror about this, and that." If as a technologist you intend to build such a thing, you should at least watch the Black Mirror episode, even though maybe it's fiction, but it might give you some insight into whether you should do this thing. Oh, is that the one about the guy who records the whole thing and is like, his wife yeah. is cheating on him. He's like, he like goes back and yep. he's like, you had a special, you exchanged a knowing glance with this guy at the dinner party and then the whole thing comes out and his life is ruined. Precisely, right? Like, do we all really want to record each other? I mean, the other deep thought I would ask you is like, if I was wearing one of those things and you encountered me, under what social contract would you be comfortable with my seeing you in that way so to speak right like if i was able to record my you know time with mm. danny what would the rules you'd apply to that be around my use of that recording and i think that the rules are non i think there are rules we yeah. could get to but i think they're certainly not completely promiscuous like for example i think that if i could convince you which i think would be very hard but if i could convince you that i was recording all of this including, you know, your facial expressions and stuff, but that it would never leave like my device, my body, my brain, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Like I would have this superior memory of our experience together, but it would be something that I was guaranteed to be unable to share with anyone else ever. Or of course, to be like, of course you stored in the cloud, right? That would be incredibly dangerous. So I think there are answers that might make things like that possible. But of course, that's one of only a number of challenges I see with, you know, say recording your kids, recording your life with your kids, and then they have to see you with the googly eyes. Like the important question is, what's the experience like for your children? There was a moment with the Vision Pro where... Oh, right, because they have the digital eyes that are like looking out that aren't your eyes, but they're like a digital recreation of an, an approximation of your eyes, which again, I was like, is this right? Is this actually what they're doing? Because it looks so weird to me. I had this moment, you know, as a tech, as a technical person, I had this funny moment where they very carefully presented the first view of the thing 
directly perfectly from the front mm. so you only saw that woman's eyes kind of in the ski goggles right yeah. and when you were looking at it straight front on on her you kind of were like eh, that's kind of cool you know like <laughs> i can see her eyes that's pretty rad you know and and you didn't even know like i'm sure when we all saw it on stage we thought is it like clear glass or whatever and then they did this funny thing where they like rotated her 90 degrees and i think there was we, i've been joking with you know friends that work in the vr industry that we all kind of had this collective gasp like oh my gosh you know she has a refrigerator or a toaster or a microwave <laughs> oven attached to her head you know like it's because it's sticking so far out to the front and and at that same moment i also wondered are they going to give the weight of the device during this presentation mm -hmm. and they didn't and that's very telling so it's still too heavy. Right, because it does have a strap, I think, over the, does that, does it? No, nope. no, I think it doesn't, or it has the option to, but they don't show it in the demo. Actually, I don't, I don't know if it has an option, but what they've done is they have a very wide band and it pulls quite hard on the back of your head as a means of offsetting that weight, which is a well-understood technique. But the downside of that is that the device pushes right on your forehead, right above your eyebrows. And in fact, one of the reviewers who tried it, I can't remember which one, I think it was a woman maybe from the wall street journal she actually they wouldn't of course let her take any pictures but she took the device off and then had her camera person take a picture of her face and you could see a big red mark that had already developed in the short time she had worn it because right. of the pressure so if you have a lot of weight in a vr device you're kind of stuck with two possibilities and they're both bad one is to just let it rest on your nose right on the cartilaginous part of your nose which is where the pressure comes down mm. because that's cartilage in your nose there it hurts you can't put a lot of pressure down at, you know as those who wear glasses know you know yeah. it, it, there's a soreness associated with almost any downward pressure there so what you then can try to do is you can pull the thing so hard onto somebody's face that it doesn't load on their nose very much but again that has the downside that it's going to ultimately it, it, sometimes you get a headache it, it just puts a lot of if you put a bunch of pressure right yeah. above the eyes it's not good either so you have to get the weight of the device for long-term comfortable wear to say use a use it as a monitor replacement which is kind of i think what they were pitching in that presentation you have to get the the weight of the device down like way 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 lower than it is probably less than about 200 grams right. on the bridge of the nose and that device is I'm just going to guess it's closer to a pound. It's it's probably more like 500 grams right, um, right, at the right, nose. Right. So you just don't have a way to work with it. I, when I saw the blow up where you could see all the machinery inside it again, I was like, on the one hand, that's a technical tour de force and I'm very excited to yeah. try it. I haven't tried one yet. On the other hand, I already knew that that's too much metal out in front of your face. So there's no way to make it light enough. You know, it'd have to be made of, you know, ma magic materials we haven't invented yet. Right, right, right. But I think the commentary on the Vision Pro, it's almost like quibbling around technical aspects of it, you know, like, oh, it's going to be too heavy. It needs to get lighter. And, you know, as many people have said, they'll make it lighter. Well, they will, uh, certainly. I, I mean, obviously, Apple is the, in some regard, you know, premier developer of consumer electronic devices, right, in the world, I think, for some time now. But and they certainly have the financial, you know, wherewithal to go after anything like that. But there are still laws of physics that apply here. And putting a bunch of computer equipment on the front of your face, you still are running up against the laws of physics in terms, even without a battery, in terms of how much you can do that. But I wanted to say the more important high level observation is every time Apple has really done it mm -hmm. and has given us all a new way of using 
you know, consumer electronics, they have refined and perfected a qualitatively new way of using technology. And I would mm -hmm. furthermore say, and this is my point, where they have done these big breakthroughs have been in qualitatively new ways of communicating, mm -hmm. not just seeing data. And so the question I would ask is, in the case of the iPhone, right? Obviously, there were many cool things about the iPhone, but I would say that what the iPhone did was it allowed us to use the internet on a small device. Yeah. And that was a really big deal. What I would ask here about the Vision Pro, I'll ask you, you know, what's the breakthrough? What's the qualitatively new way we're using technology there? Well, it's a good question because, the, I mean, the one thing they showed is like you're you're basically... And it's a bit unclear, but I think you still can use a keyboard with it. But you have all of these, like, I'm not touching anything. Aside from this machine strapped to my face, I'm not, like, I can use my hand gestures to actually control this. And that's kind of interesting. And But I don't know if that's, like, a, it feels like, oh, that's kind of a new thing that this thing allows you to do. But, like, when you step back and look, you know, the the, the use cases I saw was, like, it reminded me growing up, my dad used to have one of these giant, you know, home camcorders, right? <laughs> right, right. And everybody knew what was happening with that thing. Comes out and then you have to like do something funny or you run away from the camera or whatever, you know. <laughs> and then they got down to a palm and then it's now it's your camera, which uh, w w your phone, which, you know, our kids understand it. And then this thing is like, <laughs> that feels like almost like a step back in terms of like, cool, I can record everything through this thing. But I know, but it seemed like to me that they were pitching it almost as a, uh, you know, they're always trying to say, well, this is going to help you connect more, which I com find completely untrue. So let's focus on what you just said. So I think that's exactly, you you put it very well. Connecting with each other while, say, browsing a web page or something like that. Yes, that would be qualitatively mm. different because presently, right, if I'm like using the internet, I can't talk to somebody at the same time because I'm looking at my phone. Yeah. I think that the long-term vision and the only one that would validate the investment, but by the way, this would apply both to Facebook and, and Apple. The thing that would validate the investment in a head-mounted display is if you are suddenly able to do all the computer stuff that you normally do, but also look at somebody and talk to them at the same time. And so if we look at that, if we look at the qualitative breakthrough of the mm -hmm. internet is now on my face, but I can interact with people normally with the internet on my face, that would be a qualitative breakthrough. And what I noticed immediately, because I was expecting it and wondering it about the presentation was that they did not show communication with other people front and center. Instead, they showed watching a movie browsing the internet kind of stuff yeah email typing like you said yes it does sound like maybe you can type at a normal speed while wearing this thing i'll believe that when i try it by the way because that's a very hard technical problem but i wouldn't put it past apple to get that right you know like I, I could imagine them solving that but a bigger monitor is not a qualitative change in the way we use technology mm. i kind of feel like the vision pro is like almost like a magic screen that you snap onto the back of your MacBook Pro and then it folds up a screen that's like eight times as big as your MacBook Pro screen. Now, do I think that's a cool idea sometimes? Of course, that would be like an awesome little accessory to have on your MacBook. Is that a qualitative change in our use of technology? It is not. It's just a bigger screen.
Well, so let's step back because I want to, I always like to get your perspective on, on these type of attempts and kind of where we're going with tech, because obviously going back 20 plus years now to second life and this idea of virtual worlds and kind of like melding in more and more with our technology. And of course, Elon Musk and many others say, we're already kind of like cyborgs because we're always so attached to our phones, et cetera. When we step back and look at where we are and where we are going and also what you're doing with your new gig is IRL 415. Yep. Which I went on the website, very mysterious. It just says <laughs> submit a question. Can't do anything else. We were I'm just like, having what fun. We? <laughs> We've uh, like everybody else, we at the lab have been playing with AI and we're doing a lot of stuff with yeah. AI. And so we just yeah. thought it was funny. We 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 didn't even really intend to put that website up yet, but we were just kind of yeah. plinking around and having fun. And so we were like, well, let's tune uh, GPT to know something about what we're doing at the lab. And then right. we'll just let it incorrectly half the time answer questions. And it's pretty funny. You, you can do that. But if you, if you, if you ask the right questions, it'll tell you more um, about us and, but not much more. <laughs> VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So when we step back, when we have this like explosion of AI companies and those already used, you know, cracks appearing in that edifice in lots of interesting ways. Right. And then you have the Vision Pro and of course, on the same day, Meta says, here's our new thing that's, you know, $450, not 3000 our new Oculus, whatever. And the general direction of travel, what is most interesting to you right now? Because we have these things. I'm still not, I am still a skeptic. I'm still not convinced yeah. about AR or VR because I haven't seen anything yet where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. Yep. Yeah. I want to get that for my kids or whatever that just, which is a, totally apart from the cost of it. But then you have these AIs, which are in certain narrow use cases can be an incredibly powerful and very exciting. Right. But also it's a bit hard to understand where the there there is yet. So first of all, kind of in isolation, talking about VR and AR and head mounted displays. Yeah, I think we're still a long ways off. There's no question, but that the Apple device is going to do some things really remarkably well. I mentioned one yeah. of them. I suspect that would be being able to wear it and type at the same time. And I, I've said this like many, many times in the last four or five years that being able to type at full speed, thus communicating with text, you know, while or, or working 
while wearing such a device is a huge breakthrough that we need to get to. And I think mm. it's likely that they've probably gotten to that, albeit at a very high price point. But I think that for VR to be impactful as an experience, it needs to be a long format experience that includes communicating with other humans in a very real and effective way. And I think that we still are not there yet on that because, and you saw this in the Apple demo, both parties, everybody that's wearing the device needs to be present and visible to each other in a way where you can, for example, ascertain gaze eye contact, you know, who, mm. you know, who is that person looking at? And I think that we're going to get there eventually, but I doubt that that device is the final word on that. And I think the fact that they showed very little in the way of person-to-person mm. interaction while wearing it, which is, I think indicates that they are farther from finished on that set of features. And I believe that until you have the ability to have completely comfortable interactions with other people while wearing these devices, they do not represent the kind of breakthrough that we're looking for. And I think that's what we're all looking for is breakthroughs in our ability to connect with people. And by the way, I think that if we can do that with those devices and connect with people in the right way, mm. we could deliver positive service to humanity. And the work that we're doing at IRL 415 at the lab is all about looking at positive human uses of technology, both VR, AR communication and AI. So I think we're a ways off yeah. allowing people to communicate safely and comfortably and in a really present way with these devices. I, I, in my opinion, it's going to be another decade until we see that. So what is IRL 415? Why did you start it now? Several of us at the end of last year started taking advantage of the fact that there was an office here in San Francisco that has been used by uh, Second Life uh, over the years that is completely beautiful, large, and empty. And mm. so kind of our first thought was, hey, let's try to create a space where people get together face-to-face, -face, where people are back together again live in a, in a space, which is not to say that work should work that way. I don't think it should. I think the hybrid discussion that we've had as a society, especially during COVID, has been settled. I think that it's unquestionably the case that many, many types of work are very effectively done in a hybrid mode, you know, where you're yeah. you're not together all the time. That said, there's still a lot to be said for particularly R&D work that's done face-to-face. -face. And so first of all, we were like, hey, let's try to create a face-to-face -face space where we can do some R&D work, right? And then I had a really strong desire to focus that work on looking at technology very carefully and trying to see if there are opportunities to do things with technology that are of positive service to human beings, largely, I think, around connecting us, largely around mm -hmm. creating real connection. I think that the movements that we've made in the last decade away from real connection are very dangerous and, and by the way, unnecessary. Technology does not always cause people to feel more removed from each other. That is just completely nonsense. Um, there's plenty of evidence, say, in the 90s, of where we had very positive impacts on people's relationships and ability to communicate. It's just that, in my opinion, we have in a couple of well-described areas, you know, social media and online advertising, unfortunately let ourselves get kind of pulled by the capitalist, uh, you know, <laughs> machine in a direction that we now need to figure out how to back out of. And I think that, you know, as a species we will, but it's, it is a bit of a jam we're in right now where we're, we're using it a bad way. So, so in short, IRL 415 is for people at this point, 
myself and three friends who are working in a lab together on a variety of different projects where we are trying to look at ways to use technology for good, where by good, I mean specifically allowing people to connect with each other in a genuine, you know, compassionate, effective way. And so we've been looking at AI and how AI relates to that. And of course, AI could either be horribly bad in that regard, or I think potentially good. Honestly, the horribly bad opportunities seem more obvious with AI. They seem obvious and they seem to be many of them. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and again, I think that with AI, you can apply the same razor of decision to the work, right? The question is this, if you build something with AI, does it cause people to move increasingly apart from each other or move together? Mm-hmm. And I'll just give you two like explicit examples around maybe the same space where we could do that. Uh, dating. If you make AIs serve as surrogates that replace humans in intimate relationships, you are unquestionably moving human beings away from each other in a way that is, I mean, I think so obviously dangerous. We don't even want to explore it. And that, I mean, there's a co- uh, company's replica has got a lot of press lately, but I mean, that's exactly what they're doing is basically creating AI girlfriends. Yes. I I say that with a pause because um, partners, Eugenia, who started that company is, in my opinion, has a lot of good in her heart about what she wants to do. But I I do think, yeah, that that they're sort of a poster child right now for that, that Mm -hmm. space. But I think there's going to be tons more people working in it. So yeah, if we create AI boyfriends and girlfriends that pull us away from each other, that's very dangerous. And we must decide as a society not to do it, obviously. On the other hand, you could use AI, for example, to teach people to be more compassionate listeners and more engaged with each other. And and by the way, if you talk to Eugenia at uh, Replica, I think she'll actually would carry on about this with you uh, in Mm -hmm. a very interesting way. You know, if you use AI to teach people to be better listeners, like I said, like teach people to be active listeners, for example, (laughs) video game where you, you get a high score if you demonstrate your ability to be an active listener. You know what? Yeah. That wouldn't be such a bad thing. That'd be a kind of a cool thing. And AI can totally do that. How about, you know, an AI serving uh, one of the projects that we're playing with here at the lab, you know, would be what if an AI was kind of like a old school family matchmaker kind of a person (laughs) that was in between people, but serving as a very, you know, the sort of matchmaker that you think of your friends and family historically as having been, right? And like really doing a good job of say, let me introduce you to my friend. I think you'd get along. Exactly. What are you doing on Thursday? I want you to go to this cafe and I, I've got somebody I'd like you to meet. So, you know, I think there are ways to look at how we use AI in that example that are positive too. But yeah, it's it's unfortunately the challenge right now is it's easier to imagine the negative outcomes. And that's part of why we wanted to do this with this lab is to, we wanted the lab to be both making things that are potentially helpful and then also Mm. serving as a communal kind of a garden for people to learn about what the principle should be. Like one of the things that I talk about a lot lately is software engineering has not yet had its trinity or, or its Hiroshima. We haven't really yet, or at least we haven't really realized it, that software developers can do harm to humanity in the same way that say mechanical engineers Mm. can you know if you ask a mechanical engineer to build a faulty airplane but one that will get them rich and famous they just won't yeah and that's because as human beings they just recognize that they have a responsibility and in fact you know if you're a mechanical engineer 
there are various ways in which you typically ritualize this commitment, right? And it's it, it's yeah. like the Hippocratic Oath, right? Doctors also, <laughs> if a doctor could get rich and cause harm to people, really the great majority of doctors will absolutely not do that. And I think in software engineering, we need the same thing. Software engineers need to say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't do that. I would be causing harm. And so I will not write that code. There needs to be a Hippocratic Oath for software engineering effectively. Yep. Do you think that's realistic? Because, I mean, you could have very much argue that the way our current social media situation, gigantic, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar industry is set up is like that is, maybe it's a bit dramatic, call it like that's our, the Hiroshima happening day in, day out. Yeah. But do you see any sense or see any event where that could be like people are like finally pause and be like, hmm, maybe we should like put in some kind of code of ethics or something that that could kind of get some purchase some in, in the in the industry. It has happened in these other domains. I mean, I'm I'm an optimist mm-hmm. and I'll admit that, but I'm a I think I'm a sensible, pragmatic optimist. And what I would say is we as human beings always first seek to protect and uh, help each other. That's because we're soft little social animals that would not survive long as individuals, right, in the mm-hmm. in the jungle. So we are built to help each other out. I think that our things like Hippocratic Oaths come naturally, emerge naturally from that genetic programming, our desire to help each other first and foremost. And so yeah. I think that it has happened in these other engineering fields. And I think that, for example, and you know, God forbid, I wouldn't want to wish it on us, right? But if there was a I don't know, somebody used AI and social media for genocide, right? In a way that was truly, as you said, you could argue that little bits of that have already been done, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what if there was a big one? I think that we as human beings, that would be helpful as a moment where we would decide what that oath is. I also think that the kids that are engineers today that have grown up in the middle Mm. of the era of Facebook and, you know, Google ads and stuff, I think that they are going to have, and I I say this as a person with four kids, one of whom is an engineer, I think that they are going to consider these issues and make actions based on them outside the the boundaries of capitalism or, you know, returns. Well, that's kind of circles back neatly to where we started, which is kind of where we are with this bleeding edge of technology, the emergence of AI. You know, Mark Zuckerberg was a product of his time. Evan Spiegel came some years later. He was a product of his time. Like there are these continuing evolutions and, you know, your kids are growing up or my kids are growing up in a time when I'm terrified to give my kids a device of any kind. Yep. Because I write about this stuff week in, week out. I know how all the ways it can go wrong and really put people in a bad place. Yep. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of kids, uh, you know, people, high schoolers or people in college now be like, I want to be an engineer, but I want to create something wildly different. I'm fascinated to see how how that manifests itself when we talk about whether it's VR or AI or those coming together. But um, it seems like you're optimistic that we're not necessarily just going to an ever darker black mirror future. Again, as someone with kids, I don't think so. Because it feels like they've kind of got this mindset, you know, they being like everybody between the ages of, you know, you know, 12 and, you know, 25 right now. They just kind of have this mindset right now that I find kind of delightful where they're just like, okay, you guys, we'll take it from here. But 
you've created a horrific mess, but we've got this, you know? And I think that they will. When I watch my own kids use technology over the years, their adroitness in managing and making decisions about how they use it, when they use it, how often they use it, just seems like way smarter than the grownups. I mean, it, it, it just mm-hmm. seems way more sophisticated. You know, like I, I've seen kids nowadays and, and to a large, the other thing we're trying to do with this lab is to be a teaching startup. You know, we're, we're ba- it's basically structured like a startup studio. We've had four projects so far. We've funded a couple of them. We've, or, or sorry, I guess what you'd call a venture studio where we're trying to actually participate in the R&D, but then we're trying to get financing and stuff for projects that we think make sense coming out of there. So we are we are that kind of a thing. It's typically this, you know, startup studio pattern. So we're trying to attract young people to us that want to learn and do and collaborate and help each other in an environment. We haven't even formally like incorporated the mm. lab itself. And part of the reason is because we wonder whether the forms with which we incorporate monetized structures today are healthy for this kind of a lab. So I often call it a community lab with the idea that it may not actually have a legal structure around it. It may just be a group of people, you know, that are acting together under, you know, a social contract with each other that's a little different than a corporation. And just lastly, before I let you go, circling back again to, you know, the history with with Second Life, and I know there's a kind of a small but thriving community there. And this idea of we will be able to crack away where we have something, you know, a computer on our face in some form or fashion that will allow us to connect. Are you still, are you still confident that that is possible or that like maybe like the phone is as far as we should go? Do you think there's like a natural stopping point? So fundamentally, no. I, I do believe that the laws of physics don't prevent us from being very well connected, you know? Like I think that, I mean, there are things like time zones, which is in some sense the laws of physics, the the radius of Earth, if you will, subjects us to <laughs> a certain change in the time zone per yeah. mile we drive, right? Which is, in, in my opinion, that one's pretty tough to fix. But other than the fact that you may be talking to people halfway around the world that are like it's the middle of their night, other than that, I think we will be able to use technology to feel like we're face-to-face with other people. I do think it's going to be difficult. I don't know whether I'll see it before I retire. Um, but I do believe we'll get there. In the short term, especially, I think we'll get there by improving the sophistication of what our phones and laptops can do mm. more rapidly than by trying to mount a new piece of hardware to our head. This is comes partly from AI. What I mean is AI can be used to allow your phone or your laptop to have a much better awareness of you and r- perhaps convey that to another person in a really sophisticated mm. way. So like if I if my laptop right now could see my hands and my face, it could turn me into an avatar to talk to you in a way that is more sophisticated actually than what you can do with a head-mounted display because the head-mounted display of mm. course has all these problems we already talked about. It doesn't feel safe, it's heavy, but also it can't see you as well as the laptop can. Like a laptop right. and a phone, especially this crazy, you know, the new like phones that have the wide angle views and stuff and depth cameras, they can like yeah. see you in a way that historical equipment cannot. And so we may be able to transmit that information to each other. And and frankly, that was what I was hoping I would see with Apple in the uh, in the demonstration as well. And that the, the, I didn't see enough of that yet. Not to say they haven't done it. I heard there was more stuff in the kind of tech demos, which I didn't see, but I think that there is an ability to do that, but I think it might be easier to do in the near term with laptops and phones. And also if we want to create a social revolution with technology that really helps 
the world by say connecting us better with people far away right we got to do it with phone there's there's only one target device there's we we don't have time you know this is one of those the comet is headed for earth like we do not have time to build new hardware we have to change the systems we have in my opinion in a short time interval say a decade to save us from things like climate change by the way i think connecting people better does can potentially save us from climate change it's one of the change agents that can help us there but we have to do that with the gear that we have so anything that's going to really change the world has got to run on an android even the iphone by the numbers is the lesser concern right it, it's a yes, it has yes, to run on a google yes. you know on android well i'm very much hoping that we don't have that hiroshima moment where it's like okay maybe now we should do things differently hopefully it's kind of a gentler transition i hope so too i think you put it very well that we've got a bunch of stuff now where we need gentle transitions like the way we use money the way we communicate you know we need gentle transitions on those not violent revolutions and i hope we can get to that and that is all the time we have thank you for listening thank you to philip for taking the time always great to have him on thank you dear listeners for your ratings and reviews for telling your friends and neighbors about the show and yeah i'll be writing this week about a whole bunch of stuff it's a little unclear right now but, but you're just gonna have to look at a paper thetimes.co.uk or pick up an actual paper an actual physical copy of the sunday times you can also find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson. Email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it for me. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back, like I said, with two more shows before an August break, which, to be honest, I cannot wait for. That is it. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the environment editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.